This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 6. This is Writing Excuses. Who are all these people? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I'm Dan. We are still talking about casting your book, meaning what building your characters for your story. Now, we want to delve into a large cast and dig out how to create multiple characters, how to keep them distinctive from one another, which I think is one of the big problems with building a larger cast, is redundancy. You end up doing the same thing over and over again. How do you keep them distinctive from one another? I'm actually going to jump in and say that I I also want to talk about how to deal with a small cast at the Mm -hmm. same time, because some of the things are... Short story writer. Uh, I know. It's not all epic fantasy all the time. Mm. But but some of the concerns are the same. It's just that with a short story, you have to be even more concerned about redundancy. Yeah. So one of the things that you want to look at when you're you're looking at the the cast of characters and the story that you want to tell is what who needs to be in the story in order for the plot to move forward. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want people in there just for background color, but we're talking mm-hmm. about front and center, secondary characters, right? as opposed to spear carriers. Okay. Just find that difference, then. Okay. So a secondary character is someone who is um, serving a specific role, and you usually, not always, they will mm-hmm. frequently reoccur, um, and they have lines, mm-hmm. uh, and they usually have a name. A spear carrier is a term from theater, uh, which is, or a supernumerary, which is basically... Um, literally someone who walks onto stage carrying a spear in the opera of Aida. Mm. Yeah. And their their scenery. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, um, I had a theater major friend in college, and he introduced me to the term, here's your SAG card. If you get to go on stage and actually say a few lines, you get a Screen Actors Guild card. That means you can now join it. You've said your lines. And so I actually started thinking of, does this character have a SAG card or not? Yeah, that's actually not a bad way to think about it. And that a character as a SAG card would be a secondary or tertiary, mm-hmm. but but a spear carrier is a background character. Yes, they they if they show up in the credits, they show up in credits as you know woman in bar number four. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, it's like it's just this random yeah. person in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, fork number three. Fork yeah. number three, and you know, and, and they are part of setting the scene. So what we're talking about are characters that you're actually going to spend time on. And one yeah. of the reasons that we need to worry about this is because um, it can make your, your scene and story... It will make your scene and story longer. It'll one make of it the bigger. Things... One of the things that I look for... Uh, you know, we, we've talked about how... Uh, you know, who, which characters, which suite of people do we need in order to move the story forward? I often look at uh, which character can I put in place who is going to be a hindrance. You know, as this character is trying to meet their own goals, they're not the antagonist, uh, but they are going to cause problems. Um, and how will we overcome those problems? Uh, or will we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, it's not out yet, so I'll be very careful how I talk about this. But uh, the new John Cleaver book, The Devil's Only Friend, um, the book begins with him working with a team of people. Mm. And so, realistically, plausibly, I knew he had to have a team, and I knew more or less what roles had to be on that team. And I had to decide, well, are these going to be real people, or are some of them just going to be background spear carriers? And uh, went through, and for each person on that team, came up with, this is why he or she is here. 
This is the important thing they are going to do to or for John, and this is the important thing that they want for themselves, so that yeah. they had a reason to That's be right. in the plot beyond just the fact that I had to fill out a team. Yeah. What's interesting, in, uh, if you look at uh, you know, caper films, heist films, you know, you've got you've got the safe cracker, you've got the mm -hmm. face man, mm -hmm. you've got the hitter, you've yeah. got you've got all of these different roles, and that in and of itself is very templatish and is not enough. What you want to say is, well, okay, I've got this character who's the hitter. Why does she like punching people? You know, why is why is this the job that she is best suited for? Mm -hmm. uh, what what set her up to be yeah. in this position? You look yeah. at at Ocean's Eleven and. That cast, frankly, is a little too big. They didn't have time to develop all mm -hmm. of those people. And some of them are just, here's the hacker, and he's in a couple of scenes. Uh, but then you see where they did it really well were the two twins who were basically the distractions. They became some of the most interesting characters in that series because they had real personalities. And you could tell, this is why we hired them, because they're good at this. And, and specifically, they had real personalities because they had conflict with each other, mm -hmm. which gave them something besides the plot. Yes, something to bounce off of other than just, here, I'm going to plug one computer into another one. Yeah. In Of Noble Family, I had this interesting problem, which is that normally when you have, you know, I'm doing these Jane Austen things, and mm -hmm. normally you go to a great house and there's this giant, you know, there's support staff running the house. Right. Servants, which you, they're all, normally yes. the servants are spear carriers. Yep. This particular novel is set in Antigua on a slave plantation, and I could not have the, I, I needed all of the servants or enslaved people to be foreground characters. Right. Which meant that I didn't have any spear carriers, or almost no spear right. carriers. That and, was that sounds really challenging. It really was. And it meant that for each, you know, like for the chambermaid who came in, I mm. had to make sure that I gave her a character arc and I gave her stakes and I gave her something besides just bringing in this tray. One thing that really makes me admire a writer often is when I feel like they are able to do this in a very short amount of space. They have an economy of characterization, which is what it seems like you really need for these characters. Um, and George Martin is very good at this. Um, there are a lot of yeah. writers very good at this, yeah. that you get just a short scene with someone, you know what they're passionate about, you feel like they're real and alive and they aren't just another cog turning in this machine. This is what we have yeah, to learn to I, do. Yeah, the, the, the example that I like is uh, mm -hmm. uh, Agent Coulson in yes. Agents, the, uh -huh. in the, not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.s, but, but in the Avengers, mm -hmm. when he walks in and you just get this one line about, are you still seeing that cellist? Yes. And it's like suddenly he pops into focus as being a character. Yes, Joss Whedon is very good at yeah, doing this. And, and he was a character good enough that when he died, spoiler warning, mm -hmm. um, everyone wanted him back. He got his own TV show based on a couple of really good lines of dialogue that fleshed him out. Mm -hmm. So how do we do this? Well, some things are like the a couple of really good lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. But it's it's the the thing about like the cellist line that tells us that he has a relationship that there's someone that he is interested in, that there's something that he wants, that he has a desire outside of this. At, at risk of uh, a spoiling you know, a, a writing exercise, which may or may not be coming, I think that one of the ways, <laughs> one of the ways I do this, I, uh, I, you know, I draw. If I know mm -hmm. that I'm putting a character in the, in the comic, 
oh, I start trying to draw them. And that engages one part of my brain. But the part of my brain that composes words, the part of my brain that tells stories and makes language, is not really engaged yet, but is looking at this picture and will start telling stories and spinning stories about this thing that I'm drawing. A similar sort of exercise for a writer is to put a character in a scene. Start writing some dialogue. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's go to our book of the week. Mary, you have this book. Yeah, I'd like to talk about The Splendor Falls by Susanna Kearsley. This is a book that, um, so what she does is she does historical fantasy that is interwoven with contemporary romance. Uh, and so there is an element of historical fantasy. There's there's a lot of really interesting things going on there. But she has really big casts mm-hmm. with very interesting, diverse characters who she manages to sketch in really just very quickly. They They pop into focus really well. So if you're interested in seeing someone who does this in, in something that is not... Um, they are not hyperbolic characters. Mm-hmm. She does this with subtlety. The story is wonderful. It's a good history lesson, and it's beautifully, beautifully narrated by Barbara Rosenblatt. She is just a wonderful narrator, and as someone who does narration, I am jealous of the male voices that this woman is able to produce. Cool. Uh, if you go out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, you can start a 30-day free trial membership. And get Splendor Falls by Susanna Kearsley, narrated by Barbara Rosenblatt for free. Dan, you had something you wanted to add here. Yeah, uh, before we totally leave uh, Agent Coulson, mm-hmm. there's something that uh, that's really cool about him that, that I want to make sure to mention. You know, why is he such an interesting character? Well, his whole job in the story is to react to the main characters. Mm-hmm. And what makes him cool is that he reacts to each one of them differently. Yes. And it's very subtle. He is kind of sardonically impatient with Iron Man. He is scared of the Hulk. He fanboys out over Captain America. Adorably. And it's just one or two sentences that is, you know, 
Well, and he could've... leans on he leans on uh, Black Widow and uh, mm-hmm. um, relies on them. There's a sense yeah. of camaraderie there. Um, he is kind of overawed by Thor, mm. um, and so you know that that's the kind of thing you could almost do in a revision pass. Just go yeah. through and say, I want to change his reaction subtly with each of the main characters, and that's what fleshes him out. That's a really brilliant observation, Dad. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Thank you. Yeah. The other thing that I want to point out while we're talking about making sure that your character has wants is to make sure that these wants do not take over the story. Yeah. You know, for instance, using Coulson as an example, he wants to be with his cellist. There are no side quests about the cellist. You know, none. Another big problem here, though, is when um, the diverse ca- the the side characters only seem. The passions are all focused on the main characters. I'm thinking of the harem story, right? Where the main character, the diverse cast, quote-unquote, exists only to fall in love with him. And it's like a diverse cast is a different type of woman who can fall in love with him. And everyone does. Um, This makes... Everything seemed more shallow in the story. That's when our side characters end up turning our main character into a Mary Sue. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, It's a very big danger. Another big danger with side characters is letting each one represent... A culture or right. society. Um, mm-hmm. This is you see this a lot in fantasy books where this is the dwarf, and the dwarf has all these personality attributes, which are now what dwarves are. Why is this a problem? Well, it's the the my favorite analogy for this is um, is actually out of gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, in which the, this gamers and I wish I could remember the gamers' name said that. You know, if if the only alien you ever encountered was E.T., you're like, oh, E.T., and, and the next time you see, you know, he's so warm and lovely. And then, then you discover that actually he is a do, in political refugee mm-hmm. from an, a warlike species of xenophobic aliens and that they come upon the humans and just decimate them. Whereas if you run into alien from aliens... And you're like, oh, these are terrifying creatures. And the next one you see, you start to attack. And you discover that actually that was... Their diplomat who was, yeah. No, that, that, he was the flower arranger. Yeah. No, that he was, yeah, and, and exactly. So the problem mm-hmm. is that, that when you do that, when you have someone represent the, the culture, that it makes the culture seem monolithic. And without mm-hmm. multiple examples... You you make assumptions because we, as humans, like to put things into boxes. So wait, wait, wait. You just said that our cast has to be distinctive from one another, but now you're telling us you need to have multiple examples <laughs> of various cultures. What is the reconciliation between those two pieces of advice? Well, it, it's not that difficult, mm-hmm. actually. Um, there's a couple of different choices depending on how big your cast is. Mm-hmm. So in epic fantasy, you can have lots of people just wandering around mm-hmm. as secondary characters or tertiary or even spear carriers. Right. If you're doing a short story, you can do it with commentary by one character to another. Mm-hmm. You know, if one character says something to your secondary character and uses a stereotype, and the secondary character reacts to it with, like, really? Are you going to go there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just having having the two dwarves argue about something. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, what it means to be a dwarf. Well, not even what it means mm-hmm. to be a dwarf. Or, yeah. They could argue about, they could mm-hmm. argue about food. Well, they you could know, argue about chocolate. music. It's the yeah. difference between watching Gimli in Lord of the Rings and then watching 
the enormous cast right. of dwarves in The Hobbit. They've got the, right. the one who's kind of prissy and offers Gandalf the really fancy coffee that he made. And then they've got, uh, you know, the young one, and then they have the old one, and they all have different personalities to them. Yeah, the this, wise um, one. I've said before, avoiding tokenism by making yourself create two characters that come from the same culture but are mm -hmm. very, very different will force you to really examine that culture and those characters. You know, I've got a really cool actual historical example of this phenomenon. When the European settlers found the island of Patagonia, mm -hmm. the first person they met was enormous. And they went back to England and said, we found an island full of giants. And you can find history books and maps and stuff that say Patagonia, which I think means like the island of giants. And then the rest of the explorers showed up and everyone was kind of tall, but normal people. And everyone and all made fun of that first explorer <laughs> for essentially painting the entire island culture Panicking based on this one enormous guy. dude. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as we as we talk about uh, we want to write side characters, not spear carriers, unless we need spear carriers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. comparing the the Hobbit films versus the Hobbit book. In the Hobbit book, most of the, I mean, the dwarves mm -hmm. are a stereotype. They are spear carriers. Yeah. They are, they are treated as a group. You get strong personality from Balin, Bomber, Thorin, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and, and in the movie, we can, we can tell them all, tell them all apart. Mary, you have our writing exercise. Right. So, in the first of our character episodes, we asked you to write a scene using three different characters, uh, going through a marketplace and doing a dead drop. This time I want you to pick, pick one of those characters. They are now the secondary character in this scene. You're mm -hmm. going to pick a secondary character from that scene that you wrote. Right, someone that they asked for directions or someone, whatever happened in your scene, and if no one else spoke, pick one of the spear carriers. Right, and that is now your, your, your point of view character. And again, we want to make sure that they are well-rounded, so they need to have something at stake and something that they want. And as you're doing this, it's the same scene, so you can't change any yes. of the main character action. All you're changing is the point of view character. So you're just watching the same action from someone else's point of view. Yes, you're going to write a parallel story to the, one of the three yeah, that you did last time. You have to make sure that the character whose point of view you're using has a personality and has mm -hmm. something they want. Because otherwise, this is just narration. Oh, the main character is so dreamy as he does this dead drop. Mm-hmm. All right. Probably not what you yes, want Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the main character is Howard. Then... <laughs> uh, you went there. Thanks. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. 
I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.